Welcome, everyone, through all time and space to an all-new episode of Weaves on the Weekends, a podcast where we break down the anime news highlights of the week and give a retrospective look at anime that premiered 10 years ago. Today's episode will be covering the news from the fourth week of October 2020 and give our thoughts on whether the first three episodes of the 2010 anime Panning Stockings with Garter Belt makes us sus or expect the rest of the series. My name is Jay Johnson. I'm a part-time weeb and full-time English language sensei. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Sam Martinez, part-time weeb and full-time automail mechanic. How are you doing today, Sam? Sani Bona, Utisha Johnson. Nijani Nina? Oh, wow. Again, pronunciation is always on point. And again, I'm feeling like I haven't ever heard this language again. And I think that's a credit to you picking, you know, near extinct or less popular languages that I wouldn't have encountered on my travels around the world. So uh, you want me to give you a hint? Oh, a hint would be great, Sam. Yes. Okay. I would say that this language is in the area that you have been wanting us to visit earlier in this season. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So I'm assuming you mean something in Asia. (laughs) Oh, no, no. You mean, oh, part of the season. Oh, interesting. Oh, you mean something Northern African. Okay. Um, Okay. I know a lot of Nigerians that speak Igbo, but I don't think that's anything similar to it. So I'm going to say something from the Sudan, um, some kind of Sudanese language. Ooh, close but it's a little bit further south this is the zulu language and it's native to south africa and it has this is from the 2011 census it had about 12 million speakers around that time and it is the language of the zulu people again about 12 million speakers who primarily inhabit uh, inhabit the KwaZulu Natal of South Africa, and it's widely spoken within South Africa. It's about 24% of the population, and it's understood over 50% of the population, and it's one of Africa's 11 official languages since 1994. Okay, interesting, and I think you know, Sam, I've been to South Africa, so it's really interesting. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, the only languages that I'm familiar in South Africa is because, you know, they're, you know, the ones that I did when I was studying at Cape Town or University of Cape Town is Afrikaans and Kosa. Um, You know, you pronounce Kosa with the click because I think it's the X's, the C's, the S's and the G's are the clicks for the Kosa language. But, yeah, I never heard Zulu. So that's really interesting. Thanks for sharing that. But how am I doing, Sam? Doing pretty well. This week was the preliminaries for my school's uh, English week, which will be in about two weeks. So I had to hold a spelling bee competition, a Jeopardy quiz show, as well as review a lot of like uh, preliminary essays and poetry and a lot of like stage production. (laughs) I'm not the head of my English department, but I did have Mm -hmm. to do a lot of work this week regarding like a lot of English prep. But as soon as the event turns up all i'm doing is judging so i don't mind laying the groundwork for that but that was oh my so week. so all you did was mainly just uh 
set the foundation, get ready for it. I, I thought you had, I, I thought that from, from what you had said, it seemed as though that it had already happened. So uh, when, when you judge, will you be judging both the spelling bee and Jeopardy? So you'll be Alex Trebek in Mongolia? <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I'll be basically the yeah, Alex Trebek of it and the okay. uh, MC for the spelling bee. So I'll be the professional, uh, the, you know, the official pronouncer of the competition but yeah those are the two events i'm in charge of but i had a lot to do a lot of other groundwork of like talking to the staff about where we're holding the events as well as the student council members that are kind of like helping me as my assistants so that's fun but other than that i think the most fun i had this week was again i was killing my students in among us and <laughs> it's really interesting to see like how uh you know my students or, you know, that kind of adolescent mindset kind of processes critical information like detective skills and like looking at patterns of recognition and to see how they kind of play the game. Because I've been playing like with, you know, friends of our age group and you yeah. kind of get an understanding like they've been watching Among Us videos and gameplays, but like kids here are like just going around trying not to get caught killing and they're not really planning out their murder. So it's really fun to see that kind of um, spontaneity when it comes to, you know, uh, having, <laughs> sorry, I'm just thinking about it because it's so weird. Like if you're studying how to play the game, you're like, oh, these are the areas where you're killing. And like, these are the strategies to how you effectively sabotage things so you can lure people into traps. But my yeah. kids are just kind of, looking both ways like they're crossing the road to see if they see anybody <laughs> to, well, before they kill and then they just leave it's just really entertaining to watch but yeah so had a lot of work done but then i had a lot of downtime with um, my students to kind of um get into that mindset of how to actually play among us but yeah that's how i'm doing sam how about you no, i'm doing fairly well i'm it was funny that you had mentioned about the uh, Among Us because you had sent me a video earlier in the week and I didn't realize because you, you just made me realize that when you play Among Us, you don't necessarily play for that game that you're playing, but you're also trying to play the long game. The video you sent me was the one guy who always says, oh, vote me out, vote me out, vote me out all the times that he was innocent. And the one time that he was the killer, he would, you know, go back to saying, vote me out, vote me out, you know, just sort of. He, he was playing the long game in case he was uh, the imposter. And so it, it was it was just funny when you were talking about the different levels of thinking, that aspect came to my mind as well. As far as what I'm doing this week, I'm doing all right. We are celebrating Halloween here in the States. And it was a bit funny because with my company what they do is they do an annual halloween costume contest and with things going on because of the pandemic everyone's been a little bit on edge and obviously this year not as many people participated but i and even in my office we weren't even sure if they were going to still hold the competition so we didn't come up with anything that we can do as a unit because they have different categories. It's best individual, best office uh, theme, and scary, scariest costumes, things of that nature. And so if anything, I just wanted to at least 
as uh, what you had said earlier, get my participation trophy. And I had a red shirt from Star Trek. And so I had that on. And I ended up getting an honorable mention for the best costume. And I got a gift card because of it. But I will say that it wasn't without its dangers because if you uh, well know a lot of uh, Star Trek lore, the people with red shirts from the very first series, they are notorious for being killed. That's because they were security and uh, sort of the bodyguard of the Enterprise. So they're always the first ones out in the fray. And as a result, they're always the first ones killed usually in the most horrific manner. And I almost had, well, I had a brush with something exciting earlier that day. As I was walking out to my car, a snake had reared his head and tried to bite me. And so ever since then, I was on my uh, P's and Q's trying to make sure that I wasn't a statistic in a red shirt. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, don't be a red shirt. Yeah, that's the thing that's kind of <laughs> become like just common parlance in like the yeah. geek nerd community is like, yeah, totally, you're totally a red shirt, bruh. <laughs> yeah, especially how uh, some things like in horror uh, is like, oh, yeah, the black people die first. They're basically always red shirts. <laughs> and, yeah, but yeah, Halloween's the time of the year. So I have do have some spooky news. So Sam, you want to get into the news for this week? I don't know if I'm ready for the spooky news, but let's go ahead. Let's rip this Band-Aid off. All right, cool. So uh, time codes will always be in the description, but let's talk about the news that happened this week. So the big news story – well, actually, there's a couple of pieces that I have for today. But the first one I want to open up with is a follow-up to last week's story about the Demon Slayer movie, Mugen Train. And the title, or I guess the news for the week, is that the Japanese uh, female singer Lisa ranks number one for two weeks uh, straight on the Orchcon single weekly chart. So Orchcon is basically the Billboard 100s of Japanese like music and the media industry over there. So her song, um, this is called Hol- oh, wait, Homura. Homura? Homura, and that's the theme song for the Mugen Train movie. And I know you haven't oh, been able to okay. see it yet, Sam, because, you know, of all the availabilities, which we talked last mm-hmm. week of that will be coming to the States or the USA uh, ne- early next year. But for right now, yeah, her song for the – her theme song that she wrote for the movie is trending number one. And interesting enough that this is the first time this record has been broken since 2011. Who so, was the record in 2011? Do we do we know? Yeah, so yeah, of course I always do my research, <laughs> but yeah, it's a song called "Toilet No Kamisama," and it wasn't really. It's not attached to any anime. Again, like the uh, Orchcon is like music overall in Japan, so like there's yeah. like of course non-anime music related, but uh, this is just a, a music single that was released in 2011 so her song recently basically sold 38,000 copies both physical and digital and this is a part of her new album which is called leo nine and that sold basically 66,000 copies in this first week 
So the original release was back in October 14th. So have you heard any of her music other than her uh, theme music or theme song of the Demon Slayer? I, she may be one of those people where I have heard her stuff, but I didn't know who she was. Uh, if I had heard her of her, it would have been in another anime franchise. And I can't remember, did you say that she did other music for anime or this was her first one? Yeah, she's done a couple of, but nothing of like real notes. So nothing like her note. first song for, yeah, her first song for Demon Slayer was called Garangi. And that topped the uh, Orchcon billboard basically list for 44 weeks straight. <laughs> so and if you go on YouTube, it's kind of like one of those iconic songs now, given that it plays heavily throughout the series. And, you know, it's Demon Slayer was such a big hit last year about yeah. the story of like Tanjiro becoming a Demon Slayer to protect his younger sister who recently became a demon after their family was slaughtered. So like, it's a big song and it's kind of like, become an anthem of the anime community to say oh yeah we're mainstream but anime is not mainstream yet (laughs) (laughs) sad to say but yeah that's the first news story for today sam any thoughts Uh, do you want to check out her new single i definitely will you mentioned wait the single it was homura uh that was for demon train or yeah I, i would definitely i don't know if i want to listen to it because if I listen to it, I'm going to want to look at the lyrics, and I I would have to go back to listen to the other music for Demon Slayer, because I don't know how intertwined with the story the lyrics were to the music. So depending on that, because I don't want to necessarily spoil myself if it turns out to be closely intertwined to the story of the anime. I know it doesn't happen often, but... I haven't spoiled myself so far, and I kind of want to keep it that way until I see the movie. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's not really popular, like you said, anymore, but there was a time where soundtracks were very much tied to their uh, movie presentation. Like, even back when Phantom of the Menace uh, mm-hmm. Phantom Menace came out before, where the soundtrack for Phantom Menace came out before the movie premiere, and one of the title tracks is Qui Gon Jinn's death. <laughs> and that was a big, big spoiler right before, like the day before uh, Phantom Menace came out in theaters. But yeah, mm-hmm. I'm not surprised that um, that's your kind of mind frame about it because it is something that does happen occasionally, and the internet is definitely full of spoilers, especially now that Mugen Train has been out for a good two weeks now, so even in their promotional art, there's like open spoilers if you didn't want to go into it at all, but anyways, that's the first news story. Wow, Jay, you're trying to step me up. Oh, no, not at all. I'm just (laughs) trying to give you a good warning, but yeah, the other big news other than the Mugen Train news is that this week, uh, Netflix had their anime festival uh, premiere for a digital audience so there was a couple of big news stories that dropped so I just wanted to talk about a few that I found you know interesting enough because like okay. right now Crunchyroll is in negotiations to buy out uh, well sorry Sony is in negotiations to buy out uh, Crunchyroll so that kind of emerged during this time this week Ooh. as well as some other May other anime for next year's mm-hmm. premiere but the one that really caught my attention was that Second news story is that the Netflix Anime Festival announces Wit Studios' original anime will stream early next year. 
and this anime is called Vampire in the Garden. And Studio Wit has been on a roll in like the past year or so. They did Vinland Saga last year. They did Great Pretender this year, as well as they're handling the final season of Attack on Titan. But oh, Vampire in the Garden is basically about a human girl and the vampire queen on a journey to find a lost country known as Paradise, where humans and vampires have lived peacefully for centuries. So the main staff of this, uh, again, part of the uh, news that Netflix dropped this week is that like the assistant director on this project has done Claymore and Helsing mm-hmm. Ultimate, as well as the art director has been in charge of Attack on Titan and JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. So we're seeing this recently that Netflix is making more of a move into the anime mm-hmm. industry this year. So are you looking forward to Netflix animes? Oh, I'm definitely am. I was watching Blood of Zeus the other day. It was the made by the same people that did the Castlevania series, and even though Castlevania had its faults, it was still fun and enjoyable. And I was trying to see where they went with the Blood of Zeus, so I'm looking forward to it. I don't know if I'm interested in Vampire Garden, but if it's the same people that did Claymore and Vinland Saga then it sounds like the action scenes will be really on point. I'm actually kind of surprised that the same studio that with uh, that, that was, that's working with uh, Netflix is that, that did Vinland Saga, uh, mainly because when I had to watch Vinland Saga, I had to watch it on Amazon. So because Netflix is now partnered with them, I guess that means we can see Vinland on Netflix in the future. Who knows? Yeah, you're right. I mean, a lot of these companies are like cross, not cross promotionals, but like their libraries are very much branched over because you can see like many like HBO Max has things that are on Amazon Prime or Mm -hmm. things that are on High Dive can be also be viewed on Verb. So no matter where it's being distributed, there's always some kind of overlapping uh, library that these streaming services have. So that shouldn't be too much of a surprise. The only thing that really surprised me about this announcement was, again, this is a follow-up really to last week where we talked about Netflix is trying to get in business with a lot of these different studios, be it mm-hmm. Mappa or Mira, again, people responsible for Legend of Korra, which I'll bring, I'll be bringing up in the future a little bit more. But uh, yeah, it's interesting that Netflix is making this move now at the end of the year so i think they're trying to set claim to a lot of these studios that are getting more traction i guess this year yeah that's what it seems like Uh, at least trying to take advantage of the pandemic landscape while they can before everybody can start working again and everything's more expensive (laughs) yeah for sure so the other piece of news that i wanted to talk about from the netflix anime festival is that uh, they revealed the character design for Lee Sean Thomas's next anime called Yasuki. And interesting enough, this is very much going under the radar, but Yasuki is the historic, or actually the historic character that was the first African samurai. Have you ever heard oh, of Yasuki, no, no, Sam? I've heard about this. There was rumors that Chadwick Boseman was supposed to do, I don't know if it was a live action adaptation for this or the anime version of this. And as I said, this this was rumors back when he was still with us, but it seems like 
what's his name? The guy from Atlanta and from Sorry to Bother You. It seems like he's going to be verse, uh, voicing that character, correct or no? Oh, yeah, you're completely right. Yeah, so, um, yeah, his name is uh, Lakeith Stansfield. Yeah, he's, he's such a, a good actor. <laughs> for sure, and <laughs> he basically, yeah, he was the main protagonist in Sorry to Bother You. He also has a mm -hmm. supporting role in Atlanta, which is the Donald Glover or Childish Gambino show about Atlanta, <laughs> and <laughs> as well as he has a supporting role in Knives Out, which was the recent... A detective series kind of like in a feel of Sherlock Holmes or like uh, Murder on the Orient Express but yeah so this is being directed by Lee Sean Thomas who did Cannon Busters did you get a chance to check out Cannon Busters on Netflix oh he did Cannon Busters yeah oh, that's going to be interesting so I, I did watch Cannon Busters it had promise it was a little flat, but I think that was that guy's first anime that he directed, right? Or that he directed exactly. slash wrote. So exactly. Now, now that he got his feet wet and he's doing, uh, what did you say the name was? Yasui? Yeah, Yasuki. Yasuki. Okay. I wonder if he's going to try to get some influence from Afro Samurai and try to inject the hip-hop elements because Cannon Busters had some hip-hop elements in regards to the music and I don't know if it's too early if he needs one more show before this or I, I think this would be a telling uh, anime in this guy's creative work and how he wants to go because as I said with Cannon Busters it, it's a good uh, starting anime for him to do you know where he can get his feet when he's learning the process Hopefully he he's uh making the correct steps and it will be interesting to see him grow in this next work. Yeah, for sure. So let's test out your pattern recognition, Sam. What do you think studio that Mr. Lee Sean Thomas has taken this project to? Like, which studio do you think is producing this? I want to say it's either the studio that did Afro Samurai or Samurai Shampoo, if he can do that. I'm not sure um I I don't know what studio that he went to for Cannon Busters. I thought mm -hmm. that it it felt a little bit more independent. But if I was him, I would try to go to the people that did Samurai Shampoo or Afro Samurai. Okay, that's fair. Well, I was asking your pattern recognition because yeah. I've only I've been talking about the studio for the past couple episodes, but oh, he's actually taken this oh. to so Mappa. it would I was that was gonna be that was gonna be my one. I was gonna say Mappa. Okay. That's gonna be cool. interesting. That's gonna be interesting. For sure. Yeah, because Mappa has kind of placed their mark in their uh fight choreography and you know, fight direction. So not surprised. But yeah, Yasuki is basically the historic samurai or the historic figure that was the first samurai African samurai that served under Ota Nobunaga very famous mm -hmm. Japanese um, warlord or, you know, fighter during the Japan's warring state periods. Again, not talking much about uh, Japanese history right now, but for anime-wise... Oh, I have a quick fun fact. I have a quick fun, fun fact. fact. Tell, tell Nobunaga. Uh, apparently his name means trust and something else, and he ended up dying like Caesar, getting stabbed in the back by his best friend. Irony. 
Yes. Yeah, never name your kid after a certain virtue or is going to betray them. But yeah, but very interesting enough that the whole premise of this anime has this very, not fictional, uh, fictionalized, but it has this uh, fantasy element where there's going to be the warring period in Japan, but it's going to be in one of your favorite genres, Sam. It's going to be mechs and magic. <laughs> so... They're um, going to bring mechs into this show? Oh, yep, of course, apparently. of course. He did Cannon Busters. How could there not be mechs? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course, yes. So it's going to be along the lines of a lone cub and – oh, what's the other um, oh. figure in that? But um, Wolf and cub? cub? Wolf yeah, – yeah, thank you. Wolf and Cub where he's going to be in charge of fer- ferrying a child – through like worn torn Japan and the child's of course is going to be targeted by, you know, warlords and Danios trying to kill it for some reason. And mm-hmm. Netflix says like, it's a mysterious child. So again, putting in the genre of magic and mechs is probably, Oh, the, the kid's probably going to be magical in some kind of way. And no, uh, not Nobunaga, but Yasuki has to protect the child. But yeah, mm-hmm. that's an interesting story we're going to be keeping our eye on because the premiere is next year, early next year. Oh, that's going to be cool. Oh, yep. I'm spring now. 2021, spring 2021 is looking up. But even though the sequel is usually worse than the <laughs> original, so let's see how 2021 shapes out. But that leaves us to our next last news story, and it's a spooky one, Sam. You ready? Oh, go go ahead and hit, hit me with it. Hit me with it. All right, cool. So the manga Jujushu Kaisen reaches mm-hmm. the 10 million benchmark in circulation. Ooh, scary. How is that scary? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, because for one, there's not really horror that goes on in this anime. I mean, it, we just talked about it recently about anime that we want to watch. It was my number mm-hmm. two. And I think it was your number one for the season right now, Sam, right? Yeah, it is. It is. All right, cool. Yeah, so the manga is basically has reached its one million benchmark and copies in circulation. And again, the series is about a high school student that's dragged into a war basically between sorcerers and evil spirits. And the manga first uh, released back in 2018 so after a year ago in November, it had basically 2.5 million copies in circulation when the anime was announced earlier this year. By May, it had 4.5 million copies out in circulation. And then this month, they reported that it reached its 10 million, uh, 10 million marker. So oh, wow. if you can do math, Sam, I know you're an engineer, so I know you can do math, but that is a... <laughs> increase of over one in one year it reached over four wait four hundred percent from its original publication so the author gigi gigi or gigi gigi uh yak wait sorry i'm forgetting his name but gigi aku tommy yes is the author and uh, he was basically working with Studio Mappa and Crunchyroll to get his property seen. And it's really interesting that it does have horrific elements. It's not really horror because mm-hmm. it's dark 
dark fantasy, but I wanted to bring this up to you, Sam, because you're a big uh, manga purchaser when it comes to My Hero Academia, but are you interested enough to purchase the manga for this series? Now that you mention it, I don't know why it didn't hit me before that I could support it officially over here in the States via the manga. I'll probably start doing that now. And I'm thinking the reason why it jumped so high is because of the anime. Uh, the three first three episodes were spectacular. Everybody that I've spoken with have enjoyed it. And it seems as though, you know, it's really gaining a lot of steam and a lot of traction. And it goes into the horrific events because they essentially have to battle curses. And it goes a little bit into how the curses are born. And um, it seems as though like they're going to... It's sort of like uh, the curses become sentient and have an existential crisis. So it's interesting that way, but it's also a battle anime too. So the curses' identity sort of take a back seat to that as well. And... It's, I guess, like that's why the horror aspect seems a little bit little lacking. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, yeah, it's in the genre of like action adventure, there is a focus on like choreography. So, again, it's not technically a horror, but again, like I said, there's horrific elements. Like, there's a lot of Mm -hmm. decapitations, and like, there is a creature that (laughs) actually, there's a pretty horrific. Um, in the most recent episode, I guess, there's basically someone gets deboned and there's like their body is like uh, on display, kind of. Yes. And even one of the spirits has somewhat of a jump scare moment uh, in I that f- most I f- recent episode. I-, I forgot about that. That was one thing that was interesting. So whenever we do talk about JJK, that, that way we don't have to worry about the pronunciation, is that we have to put a disclaimer on it because in in the manga, the manga is pretty horrific and you can essentially everything that you see in the anime, you see in the manga. But when I was watching the anime, I wasn't expecting it to be so true to where you do see the horrific elements in detail, because in most anime, whenever somebody gets decapitated or as you said, deboned or uh, dissolved, it sort of blurs out what's going on or it shifts the camera away and you can hear it happening in the background, but in JJK, it shows you in its entirety. And I was not, sh- I, I was not uh, prepared for that. I was like, oh, they're they're actually showing me this. Okay, this 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 is the route that we're going now. <laughs> yeah, so. for sure. I mean, we haven't really had a good horror anime in recent times. I mean, Jojo mm. Ito's Uzumaki is coming out next year, early next year, I believe. But this would have been like the perfect time. Again, Halloween is kind of the time where horror kind of thrives because everyone wants to be in a horror, horror mood right before Christmas since yeah. you know November into December is kind of Christmas time. But this is kind of like the last time to be scared and to celebrate the season. So it's really interesting. And that's why I wanted to highlight... Uh, this story because the manga is definitely it leans way more into the horror as you said they basically focus a little bit more on how horrific these um, evil spirits or curses are where the manga or the anime kind of leans away from that but also does do it some justice Mm -hmm. exactly but but that's it 
yeah, that's all for the news, Sam. So you want to transition into your pick of the week for the anime we're reviewing? Segway transition. Trying to keep in. It's not really horror, but I guess like it's still riding on the coattails of the supernatural and it can lead into horror. But today's episode is based on the anime Panties Starking with Garter Belt. Hey! So, So, before I give a little bit of background about the show uh, Penny and Stockings with Garter Belt, have you heard or seen this anime before uh, we decided to watch the three episodes up until this point, Jay? Not at all. I mean, of course, I've heard all the... It's like it's not in the same vein as... Actually, it's pretty close to the same vein as High School of the Dead for my memory of the series because mm-hmm. it's like 2010, again, is a very weird year in how anime was moving from a niche kind of following into the mainstream, even at the time when streaming services were basically being created to stream anime online, is that Penny and Stocking was kind of the... Uh, barrier to a lot of people because you know it has a well we'll talk about its art style but yeah the all i've heard about it beforehand was like you can't watch this until you grow up young jay this is not (laughs) for you (laughs) no (laughs) so now that you're older jay you can say i wonder i can watch this popular show now and understand why everybody liked it so so much but um the the I, I I was similar to you uh, when this first came out. I didn't really uh, watch into it. I was uh, more absorbed with other works such as High School of the Dead, and I, I just never took the time to sit down and watch it. But I really chose this time. I really chose to see this anime uh, because it. Uh, looking back on it, it seemed to be uh, up up my alley, uh, so to speak, because it had the irreverent humor. It was bombastic and very energetic in nature, and it seemed to be more of a traditional Sam's choice of anime. And with the supernatural th- uh, elements in this show, it sort of fits in well with the october spooky theme ever so slightly and uh one thing that i found that it was a fun fact i'm sure you probably own already know this jay but it was produced by gynex studios so i was looking at it it's like oh so no wonder why i wanted to watch it because i'm a secret gynex fanboy and i just didn't know it yet (laughs) but um a bit of a summary of the show penny starkins and garabelt Essentially, what happened is the the Anarchy Sisters, Panny and Stockings, they are two angels that have been kicked out of heaven because of their mild, uh, not not their mild, but because of their rude behavior. And they have to live with this uh, priest or reverend named Gardabelt, who is the black guy in the show, by the way. And these angels must buy their way back into heaven by eliminating ghosts or uh, demons or spirits in the city known as Dayton City. However, in order to do this, they have to fight the demons by changing their physical garments, 
uh, panties with her pantings and stockings where they're, guess what, stockings, and turning them into weapons such as a gun and some swords so that they can essentially turn the spirits into coins. And while uh, they have the skills to pay the bills, so to speak, they aren't really in a hurry. They have the worst worth ethic ever. Panty is a nymphomaniac on egregious proportions and stockings is a food junkie for sweets. So they have to be coaxed and reminded that they are not on earth to indulge in their pleasures, but to go back to heaven and to uh, buy their way back into heaven. And there's also other cast members such as Chuck, which is essentially discount Gur from Invader Zim, and another boy uh, named Brief, who is essentially the high school geek that helps them hunt ghosts because ghost hunting is a hobby of his. And just as, as we go uh, forward, Jay, when you saw this show, or at least the first three episodes, what influences did you see stand out to you that was taken into account in making this anime? Yeah, so if you're looking at it again, like from a like just visual influence standpoint, I think was what you're asking is that mm -hmm. it has a very weird aesthetic, and you kind of see the Studio Gainax kind of explicitly in how the action is displayed and like the physical comedy so i wasn't i wasn't surprised at all when it like produced by studio gainax came up i was like wow this really looks like something by studio trigger but yeah the director <laughs> the director on the project is oh what's his name it's haruyuki uh ishmai shi and he's mm -hmm. the co-founder of studio trigger but he was a director for studio gainax so i was like oh that's why it looks so familiar because again studio gainax is one of those studio ghibli or studio mm -hmm. um a1 pictures that their aesthetic is their studio so like yeah you can notice their kind of production just by its visual cues but the thing that really caught me off guard about this is why and like again why it gave such a bad name for anime back in 2010 is that it looks by it looks like something that could be compared to powerpuff girls dexter's laboratory invader zim samurai jack mm -hmm. it kind of has that cartoony art style that people are like oh it's actually a cartoon no it's actually an anime kind of opinion and i really enjoyed that element of it's being a raunchy comedy but still has this aesthetic so i wouldn't be surprised if this premiered on like adult swim back in the day <laughs> no exactly and it's i would say that was uh the main point because when making this uh anime and it's it's a, it's an anime original by the way uh they made a manga adaptation to it a few years later but it was it took great homage from American uh, works. And that's why, for instance, when I said Chuck is essentially a Gurr knockoff, that was, that was, that was the goal was because the person who made the show was like, Hey, I watch Invader Zim and I enjoy it. I'm putting this character in there because I know that you know what character that I'm talking about. And 
it as 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 you said earlier, it's a re- really big influence. Like uh, uh, Powerpuff Girls, even with the original Teen Titans, it has that similar aesthetic, that pseudo American uh, Japanese feel to it. And it also felt like Hi Hi Puffy Amiyumi to me as well. Uh, quick fun facts with Hi Hi Puffy Amiyumi that they're an actual band. And when they were touring in the States, they had to change their names to, they, they, it, sorry, they were originally called Puffy. But then when they went to the States, they had to change their names to Puffy Amiyumi because Sean Combs, a.k.a. P. Diddy, Puff Daddy, Puffy, Puff, was going by Puffy at the time. And they didn't want to get in trouble with legalistic things with Puff. So quick uh, non or a quick tangent, but uh, back uh, again, uh, you know, this, uh, and it was originally because of this mishmash, and as you said, the uh, comedy that was in it, at first people were put off by it, and it sort of became a mix of a cult classic, and with some of the other people at the time, uh, David Brothers uh, Comics Alliance, they claimed that this Anime was the unholy union of Ren and Stimpy and the Dirty Pair. Now, Jay, have you ever heard of the anime or the manga uh, Dirty Pair? Uh, no, I haven't. So is it just as raunchy as this series is? No. So uh, essentially it takes the raunchiness from Ren and Stimpy, but it takes the antics from Dirty Pair. So essentially the Dirty Pair is these uh, two sisters who were future cops and they always get their man or they get their bounty but their thing was every time they went and go and get their bounty the city that the person lived in would always be destroyed or toppled over because that's just how uh eccentric that the that this pair was and that was what gave them their nickname the dirty pair because a little bit like with uh the fairy tale guild in the anime fairy tale whenever they go to a town they get the job done but they do more destruction and harm than necessary and it's not always intentional in order to get the job done so it seems like the dirty the dirty pair sort of started that trope and uh, that that was why they had made that parallel between the two, and uh, they they also got acclaim for their animation and its soundtrack. And the way that I uh, saw the show, the first two episodes were on uh, were free uh, to watch and view on Funimation. And Jay, when you watched the anime, did you watch it subbed or dubbed? Yeah, you said it's yeah it's available on Funimation now, which is the Funimation service, but it's also available on Crunchyroll as well as Amazon Prime, and that kind of is why mm-hmm. the 2010 animes are so kind of accessible nowadays. Is that again when all the streaming uh, licensing was coming up in the early 2010s, a lot of these series are available, even though like newer series aren't available as rarely um nowadays i mean again that's kind of subjective to the service and depending on which country you live in and uh where the distribution rights are but i did watch this in i watched the first three episodes in the dub because of what i've seen of the first three episodes is that 
this is definitely something that needs that requires to be watched in the dub because of the vocal mm-hmm. performance is just so amazingly candid and it sounds like again like when you talk about voice acting it's so much of a skill i mean uh, in the west we're kind of numb to the idea of what good voice acting is but in japan they go to school for it they have to do like there's like a long uh storied history of voice actors like building up their careers where you know people in the west usually like oh they have a nice voice so they can just voice act but Mm -hmm. that's not really the thing in most anime so when the anime comes about and it's a long process is that this is like one of those animes that just loses something when you're reading the subtext if it's subbed again like we talked about tatami galaxy is that they kind of go into like a monolistic monologuistic speech patterns so even japanese people have a hard time following along with it same thing with the monogatari series where like the voice performance is kind of part of the storytelling same thing with yeah penny stockings here that the dub is just so great i don't want to watch it in the sub <laughs> because it feels like it would ruin the experience so it, it's it's funny that you said that because i had watched the first three episodes in the dub and then i went back and i want to say I, and i saw the first episode sort of did a side-by-side comparison and i i guess it was sort of again with like the the art style because it feels so american or it feels so western and also the india the idioms and the nuances of the language that's used in the english dub it feels much more natural when i was watching <laughs> oh my goodness when i was watching the japanese dub in the first episode there was a scene where garter belt had made the girls uh some rice curry and there was he 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 essentially was uh making a joke saying how because he's black he knows how to cook uh, curry rice but when he's when it was said in the japanese it was just flat it you can tell they don't know how to write black dialogue in japanese culture and but in the american dub I'm sorry, I don't know if it was American, but in the Funimation dub, there, you know, the nuances where they use the idiom, you know, once you go black, you don't go back. That was used in the compliments of his cooking, you know, just like the uh, expertise in the art of the language, as well as the culture of the demographic that you're reaching. It was there. And it was... <laughs> A little bit what you said, Jay. Uh, it felt wrong watching it in subbed. It, it, I, again, I don't know if it was because the aesthetic or because the dubbed had, you know, hit all the markers. Whereas, like, it paired well with the animation style and it had the right uh, linguistics for the jokes. And oh my gosh, the puns, the puns, so many puns and innuendos. They were amazing in the show it's (laughs) yeah i definitely agree because again it's like one of those weird lines to draw with anime and it feels like like what you said it's like a westernized Mm -hmm. anime and i would put the same thing again like it's a really it's like one of the 
key markers of the series is like they put explicitives in or you know profanities in almost every line of dialogue yeah <laughs> so like the humor is both like vulgar and crude and i would say that's the one thing that people would probably get easily turned off to in these first three episodes actually like they're not they're not at all um sh- shy about using that kind of language i mean in the first scene basically you see that panty is basically the incarnation of lust and mm-hmm. that's really interesting to think of these angels as like embodiments of certain sins because you have like you said panty is like the um embodiment of lust like in her first scene she's get introduced you know and not you know anything uh explicit and pornographic but you see that she has a lusting for men of you know all varieties and like yeah takes scenes away and it's just like oh yeah they're in bed together or they're keeping track of how many times they've orgasmed or like it's just like so much crude humor that goes on it's like in the same Mm -hmm. vein as south park or family guy or american dad anything that seth MacFarlane Mm -hmm. basically writes on again like if this was on adult swim i would not be surprised at all um, yeah, it it would that. it would definitely fit. I think uh, that's what this character was. Is like, okay, how can we take Adult Swim, put cute girls in it, and make it slightly anime? And I, I think I think that's what this right. was. <laughs> For sure, yeah. And like, stocking is the um, embodiment of sloth, and I'm not sure where Gardabelt kind of fits in because it feels like um, the he's kind of making they're kind of making a priest commentary about how mm-hmm. catholic priests are seen in the west as you know a little bit on the pedophilic side of you know their you know common interpretation i don't know mm-hmm. how to put that but yeah there's some kind of creepy scenes with the black priest and even yeah, in his with character him in design brief. it's yeah exactly with brief and uh and of course like it's it leans into the way that Japanese animes have depicted black people improperly and offensively as having like big round circular mouths or lips, sorry, big lips that take up mm-hmm. a good portion of the face. And we've seen like good, actually black realistic character designs. Like one of my favorite black characters in anime is, um, oh, I think you know her, Canary in Hunter Hunter. Is it Canary? Am I thinking I'm sorry. of the right character, Sam? uh what, what what did she do in hunter hunter what was her powers uh she was one of the like housekeepers of the Killua household oh yes yeah 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 the the little girl with the staff yeah yes yeah yeah she's one of my favorite um black designs or black character designs in anime but yeah and the other mm-hmm. thing that i wanted to mention about like how much thought went into this even though it's like raunchy um adolescent humor is like they pay a lot of homage to like different movies of the West. Did you oh, yeah. notice what all the episode titles were called, Sam? I realized the second episode, and uh, just to touch on the episode structure a little bit. So that's another thing why it feels a bit more Western is because a full episode, it's split up into two mini episodes. So something like SpongeBob, where it's like the first 15 minutes is one uh, self-isolated story and the last 15 minutes is another one. I didn't recognize what the first episode was in reference to, but the second uh, in episode one, part two, 
the death race. It was a reference to death race and everybody was the, the demon that they had to exercise was somebody that could control cars and things like that. And they essentially had to fight each other. Like how Mel Gibson, no, I'm sorry, not Mel Gibson. It was, was it Mel Gibson that was in the first death race? I know Jason Statham was in the second death race, but essentially they were in cars where they had to kill each other before they make it to the finish line so that they can uh, end up winning back their freedom. So, no, I, I definitely liked those homage, uh, that homage, but uh, which references were you referring to? Yeah, so I think it's Steven Seagal. Not Steven Seagal, it's uh, Rocky. Um, oh, Sylvester Stallone. Uh, Sylvester Stallone, thank you, yeah. in the first Death Race. Yeah, but yeah, the Jason Statham one was like a remake of it. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's the original one is called Death Race 2000. And again, I'm a little bit, I don't know if I would say I'm a cinephile, someone that loves movies, but yeah, I was so uh, tuned into what they were doing because they make a Dirty Harry reference uh, in the yeah. first episode. They make the same like Death Race. So like the second part of episode one is just called Death Race 2010. Yeah, and uh, the second part of episode two is called "Sex and the Deton City," <laughs> like mm-hmm. a parody of "Sex and the City." Sex and the City. And yeah. Episode three is called "Cat Fight Club," <laughs> uh, like uh, cl- Fight Club, and yeah, then the second yes. part of the episode is "Pulp Addiction," <laughs> like Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yes. So all the all the all the titles have kind of like that kind of play on words of like something in the West that people would kind of identify with. So I like all the like homages that they pay attention to. Cause again, like if the comedy is really not your thing, if like you can't really get past, I mean, that's kind of all the anime has is like the Mm -hmm. crude humor, but they do have a lot of at least kind of like they're trying to placate to a Western audience. So it's weird that, Penny Stockings doesn't really have a like beloved fan base here because this is so what Americans at the time would kind of vibe with. And I wouldn't oh, be surprised yeah, if it started streaming now. Like if they pushed the streaming of this, you know, more heavily on Funimation, then I think a lot of people would tune in to watch this nowadays. Oh no, definitely. I think it seems like nowadays they want to feel they being the Western audience, they want to feel smarter. Like, for instance, with uh, works like Rick and Morty, there's a lot of nuance, there's a lot of thought that's behind it. But, you know, it's delivered with a lot of crude humor, a little bit like Family Guy. Family Guy is not as nuanced, but they do have uh, more uh, thinking behind it. Whereas Penny and Stockings, it's very, very clever in what it does, but it's kind of just there at that level it doesn't it does it doesn't seem to go deeper but just just to touch a little bit on like the expect and uh the sus i'm a i'm a little sus on penny of stockings because it seems like if i kept watching it they'll try to make it more serious than what it is near the end of the show because with certain other animes like for instance uh uh, overly cautious hero where it starts out very comedic and then near the end you get a turn and it's a more serious understanding and look on the character in the world and their relation to everybody else and you get to understand why the hero is overly cautious and you begin to feel for that character 
Whereas in that anime, it's a little bit more built up and it's a bit more palatable and understandable. With something like Panty and Stocking, that is, you know, as bombastic and energetic and just in your face crude, it would not work. But for some reason, in the back of my mind, I feel as though there's a turn like that that's going to happen somewhere because later on in the show, they have demons that appear that essentially are a parallel or an alternate versions of panty and stockings whereas panty and stocking they're rude and crude for the sake of doing it they are prim and proper and they seek order through chaos so it's sort of like a commentary on panty and stockings character and i've seen a little bit of it it doesn't seem to go in deep that i had feared but you know, that was just halfway through the season of the show. And again, I, I just have like that thought in the back of my head uh, that if I finish it, like it, that's going to happen and now I'm going to hate the show. But that gotcha. that's just me. Okay, what, what so about... you would you would put in the sus. Yes, category. I would put in the sus character. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I'm again, I think I have to put my vote in the opposite to you that I'm really expecting the rest of the season series, because mm. I do see your point that it might try to insert meaning to what it's trying to like portray or even talk about, but it feels like the same way as family guy does have some kind of social commentary. They're trying to make a point about with yeah. same with South park, but I think paying a stockings is going to, do what some of these uh, this is only 13 episode series so like, yeah. again like it's dividing the episode like you said like old american cartoons into like two halves so like you're basically getting like 26 episodes essentially so i'm wouldn't be surprised if in like the last two episodes last three episodes they're going to say oh there was actually some overarching uh plot or overarching significance because they are collecting coins so like again mm -hmm. they're trying to get them back to heaven but they're angels that like to indulge in their own personal pleasures. And that's even somewhat of a commentary. Again, like they're talking about shallow uh, commentary about, you know, your personal indulgements versus, you know, grand ambitions. Cause like garter belt is the one really forcing them to do their job because Danton yeah. city is basically a city living on the border of heaven and hell. That's kind of why they have mm -hmm. a evil spirit, problem and the people are there like they have their own comedic personalities like the citizens of the city do get like show um a spotlight sometimes because like even in the second half of the first episode there's a news copper uh news chopper narrator yes, news yes. Presser. i remember him <laughs> yeah he does have a fine there is like some things that made me chuckle so like penny and stockings is a fun time but it's not funny if that mm -hmm. makes sense, kind of like it's entertaining, but it's nothing that I would put in the bag for, but I do want to watch the rest of it. So I would say that it's uh, expect for me because small things like, again, the movie references, the paying homage to things does mm -hmm. catch my attention. And I'm looking forward to how else they bring up things because I'm not surprised if they do something with like um, other movies of the time, like kill bill actually i don't uh, know when kill bill came out but matrix like when they mm -hmm. do things i'm like 
looking forward to how they're going to incorporate it into the show. So I'm going to put this in the expect category. And the other thing I wanted to mention before we wrap up, Sam, is that there's this iconic scene of their transformation, like talking about magical girls transformations, like (laughs) the panty and stockings transformation scene where they're on a stripper pole is kind of iconic. And again, it's one of those things that I didn't know where it was from, but I've seen Mm -hmm. the parody and copies of it. I mean, I've even seen a version of Sasuke and Itachi. That was actually my first. (laughs) That was your introduction to it? Yeah, to that iconic um, transformation scene. And like that kind of was my image of like magical girl shows because I have like this is, I guess, my only magical girl show that I've seen other than Madoka Magica, and that's mm-hmm. way different than this. Oh, but, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, d- those are my d- overall feels that this is probably one of my, one of the most enjoyable experiences I've had with an anime because it was so shocking. It did not, I was mm-hmm. not prepared for this, Sam, <laughs> so I'm glad you introduced this to me. You are not prepared in a good way. Uh, j- just just to riff on the transformation scene just, just a little bit longer, that was one thing that I uh, liked about this show as well was there were times when their animations would change, or at least like their art styles. For instance, the, most of the show is uh, just heavily influenced by American cartoons. As we said, it looks like uh, Teen Titan, Teen Titans, Puffy Ami Yumi, um, Powerpuff Girls. But then they would interject the classic anime tropes like the transformation scene where it was very anime stylized the way that it was done. And it was just like them transforming was juxtaposed against the uh, citizens of the city, which was still in American style, which was uh, pretty funny. And whenever they defeated their demons, they would go to a 3D puppet uh, effect, something a little bit like uh, Puppet Pals. I don't know what exactly what you would call it, but they would essentially get a physical representation of the monster or the demon that they had uh, defeated. And they would have, they would record that uh, spirit getting blown up or exploded or cut up. However, it was that they were destroyed and it it just played into the humor that is Panty and Stockings. And I just really liked that. That was, that was very, very well done. Yeah. I don't know if you remember the show called uh, Chowder, but it was yes, very late. Chowder. Yes, I remember <laughs> it was Chowder. Very, yeah, it was very late in the lineup for uh, cartoons on Cartoon Network. But yeah, there was this one episode that definitely reminded me of that transition for Paying and Stocking. It was like during the animation of the show, because it was in like, um, it's a cartoon animation. It's like, they were like, oh, we run out of money <laughs> for the voice acting. And then it just shows the actors in their recording. <laughs> in the booth. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like that. And it's so weird. Like when they defeat these monsters, it goes to the shot of like basically a green screen and a table and it, the monster just blows up. And it looks yes. like they're shooting it in like a little basement and like a crudely decorated basement. And then it goes right back into the animation. So like things like that makes it like kind of worthwhile. And even like small things mm-hmm. with like the uh, ED is pretty is pretty much of a banger. And like mm-hmm. the soundtrack throughout the episodes is pretty good too. It has this like electronic pop kind of vibe to it, which kind of works with the goofy uh, antics that the characters get into. So overall, again, like I'm putting it in the expect category. 
and you put in the sus. So that is going to close up the discussion of Penny and stocking with Garter Belt. So you want to say anything, Sam, before we wrap up? You choosing to disagree with me today, Jay, it's not a good move. You need to repent, you mother... Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the Weebs on the Weekends podcast. We have been your part-time Weeb hosts, Jay Johnson and Sam Martinez. Have a beautiful weekend, and we'll see you next time, our fellow Weebs.